0: Tonight we are continuing our series in the disciplines or training in godliness. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about worship. Uh, this is where we are in our series. You can see uh, we've talked about purity, friendship, and prayer. Tonight we're talking about worship. And you can see where we're headed in the next uh, several weeks. And as we talk about worship, I think a lot of us might have think that we have a pretty good grasp ...on what worship is or what we think we know what worship is. Uh, And so, as we consider worship tonight, we're going to look at the theme verse that we have talked about every week. It's going to be on the screen. It's 1 Timothy chapter 4. It says this. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed... Have nothing to do with irrelevant, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God." who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Have you ever done something that you thought was right, only to find out later that you completely had it wrong the entire time? Let's take this game for example. This game of Uno. Uno is a card game that every child Just about every child knows how to play. My daughter and I often will have daddy-daughter dates. And it usually consists of going to Roses and sitting at a table. And we eat chips and queso. We get a dozen tortillas. And we play Uno. And she completely dominates me every time. But one thing that I want us to get out in front of everyone tonight, once and for all, uh, we want to... Uh, One rule I want us to talk about is the dreaded draw two card. Okay? Because everyone thinks that when you play uno, if someone plays a draw two and you have a draw two in your hand, that you can play it on top of that one and the next person has to draw four. And if they have a draw two, they can play it and it's draw six. Here is the actual rule. I'm about to blow half of y'all's mind. When a person places this card, the next player will have to pick up two cards and forfeit his or her turn. Period. End of rule. You cannot play a draw two on top of another draw two. That is not the rules. Some of y'all, you're having... Really a bad time right now because you're like, this is not how we've played for all of these years. Now, here's something I did not know. I teach my children how to play Uno the right way. This is a rule I found out when I looked this one up in preparation for tonight. Did you know that at the beginning of a game, if it is your turn first and the first card is turned over, if it's a draw two, You draw two, and it goes to the next person. If it's a wild, draw four. You draw four. If it was going this way and there's a reverse, it goes that way. How many of y'all have ever played that way? That's right. We're all learning something tonight. This is good. This is the most asked question in UNO. Now, if you call... Uno headquarters. Evidently, there is one. <laughs> they will likely give you the response of, "They like to give this rule. Anyone can give variants to the game." And we know that's true because they actually will sell you an Uno set now, where you can write in whatever uh, rule that you want on the wild cards. Like, you have to draw sixteen. You can switch hands with whoever you want. Anyway, you automatically lose, give your cards away, and you lose. You're a loser. Uh, you can write whatever rule you want to in it. So they like to say that you can give variance to the rule. But just so you know, once and for all, if you want to play uno by the real rules, you cannot play a draw two on top of another draw two. I know some of you just lost years off of your life just now. You're like, I would have won. There are all those times with my brothers and sisters, I would have won. This just not fair. So why do I tell you that? Tonight, as we continue our series on training for godliness, and as we talk about worship, I think a lot of us think that we have a pretty good grasp on what worship is. Um, I think there are a lot of... One of the biggest misconceptions about worship is that worship is for us. I know a lot of you... Um, Love to come to the Wednesday night service because we sing hymns. And I'm kind of selfish and I want to sing hymns. And I'm just going to tell you, if you do that, you're putting yourself in the center of worship. If you avoid Wednesday nights and only come on Sunday morning because I like drums and electric guitar, you're in the same boat. You're making worship about you and not about what it's supposed to be about. There's a lot of churches, very successful churches, who um, make their houses of worship, entertainment, in every facet of their church. It's all about getting people in the seats. And if the worship becomes about the people and not about God, we've missed the point. You know, I've been guilty of asking this question to my wife. Sometimes we'll jump into the car, we're headed to lunch after Sunday service, and I will say this question. What did you think of worship today? Guilty. And many times what I'm talking about is, I played bass in the band. How did the band sound? That's what I really want to know. Did we we sound terrible? Did we sound okay? That's what I'm asking about. Did we sound good? But I think the real question that we should be asking ourselves and maybe one another is, what did God think of how we worshipped? What did God think of those who worshipped? What did I give to God? Not what did I get out of it. Not did I learn anything. What did you give to God? I think it's very easy for us to forget as we go to church and even in life, our main concern should be to worship. To worship in spirit and in truth. We're going to talk about that in a second, what that looks like. And if you come to worship, you come to a worship service looking for a pick-me-up from a hard week, you might be missing the point. Now, let me just say this. I've walked through those doors many a Sunday, and I've had a bad week, and I have an amazing worship experience, and I leave encouraged, and I leave refreshed. However, if that's what I come through those doors seeking I'm missing the point of why we worship, why we're gathering to worship. And just as a quick reminder, I want us to remember that these disciplines that we're looking at are meant to uh, strive us to become more like Jesus. It's not to earn anything, it's not to earn salvation, but it's to become more like Jesus. And I don't want us to look at worship uh, in this, uh, this evening and think that we are better than most you know, we're doing a pretty good job. We, we, we have hymns on something. We do this on this, that. We're, we've got our stuff together over at Emmanuel. As a Christian, it should be our goal and our focus to draw closer to God and to worship Him. To become more like Jesus. That whole process of sanctification in our life. And, and so, as we consider this discipline, as we consider uh, worship this evening, let's see where it starts. First of all, let's look at the character of God. God is holy, 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 and He deserves our worship. He deserves our worship. When we think about worship, when we think about the purpose of worship, um, when we really begin to see God for who He is, we will have no other choice than to worship. No other choice. You know, holiness is the perfection of all of His other attributes. When we think about things that describe God, holy is at the top of the list. Many times throughout scripture. You know, it never says he's merciful, merciful, merciful. It never says he's loving, loving, loving. But it does say he's holy, holy, holy. And so when you think about all of these things that God is, holiness is the perfection of all those other attributes. Um, consider Isaiah chapter 6. Um, Let me read this for you right quick. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, and I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. I want you to just try to imagine this scene in your brain. Sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. It says, And the foundations of the threshold shook. And the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, this is Isaiah talking, Woe is me. I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amidst a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know, I tried to find an artist rendition of that scene this week. Uh, there were some pretty cool ones, but none of them I would show them to you because I just thought they were all just kind of, uh. Eh. But to think of something so amazing, to be in the presence of God, to see the angels crying back and forth, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. God is Holy. And if we are able to just catch a small glimpse of that in our lives, I think we would be like Isaiah and we would say, Woe is me. God deserves our worship. Next, God is a jealous God. When we think about the character of God, when we think about worshiping God, God is a jealous God. When you think about jealousy, one of the things that I don't want us to think is because when we think about jealousy, oftentimes we think about... Uh, how jealous we might feel if uh, someone else were to look at our partner or if something like that happened or maybe someone got a promotion at work and you didn't and that's how we feel. We feel jealous and we feel upset in that manner. Um, Now, um, I don't want us to think that that's what God feels about uh, us because we are his creatures. He created us. Uh, And he is jealous if we show allegiance to someone else. Yes. But I want us to consider this. Because in Exodus 34, 14, it says, For you shall worship no other gods. For the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. You know, the first two commandments. No other gods before me. Don't worship idols. God has set boundaries for us. And he is a jealous God. I don't want us to think negatively about that word jealous. Because in other translations, if you look at that word jealous, it literally means zealous. Meaning a deep caring for his people. To the point of passion. To the point of zeal. God is zealous for you. To the point of jealousy. God is so passionate for you. And we're going to see more about that in a minute. Even when we sin. So let's look at the nature of sin. We choose to worship ourselves and things of this world. You can go all the way back to Adam and Eve. You know, I think a lot of when we talk this, during this series, we're going to talk a lot about Adam and Eve. And I hope it doesn't take away from us as well. So they chose to do things their own way. God had given a command, they chose to ignore that command, they chose to believe a lie, something, and it says it's been a struggle for human beings ever since. Flip over to Romans chapter one. Or right, look at this, this idea of choosing to worship ourselves, choosing to worship the things of this world. I think Romans chapter one says this perfectly. Starting in verse 18. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Who is blessed forever. Amen. That's what we do. We turn away from our creator. And we worship the things of this world. Most of the time it involves me. Whatever makes me happy. We don't honor him as holy. We don't give thanks to him. We worship ourselves in the things of this world. We seek pleasure in images rather than the Creator. And secondly, we have failed to keep God's commands to uphold him as holy. We failed. Look at the first, look at the Ten Commandments. Consider the Ten Commandments for a second. The first four of the Ten Commandments they're all pointing to our relationship to God and how we are to obey God and how we are to have a right thinking about God. No other gods before me. Don't worship idols or stuff or things. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. These are all geared toward worshiping God. These are all things that can cause us to be drawn to God, to uphold Him as holy. But we failed at them all. We mess them all up. We might think we are pretty good at some of these things. You know, I think sometimes we think we're pretty awesome because, you know, I don't have a graven image in my house that I set candles around. I have a little altar to. I don't have that in my house, so I must be doing something right. We think that we're pretty good about that. (laughs) Or maybe we fooled ourselves into thinking that we are better Than most. Uh, Let me let you in on a little secret. You may realize this, maybe you don't realize this. The Ten Commandments were not given to you as a measuring tool to measure yourself against other people. The Ten Commandments were given to His people as a measuring tool to measure us against His holiness. And we fall short of every single one of them. We failed at every single one of them. Even if you stop it, think about the book of Malachi. I put Malachi. Landon gave you a reading assignment last week, so I thought I'd do the same. You can read the entire book. It is short, so you're good. If you look in the book of Malachi, the people are going through the motions of worship. They're doing all the right things. They're saying lots of the right things. They're, going, they're doing a lot of the sacrifices and things that they were supposed to do of the day. But it says that their hearts were empty. It says that their worship was empty. They did not uphold God as holy. They did not see him in that way. So it says that it looked like worship, but the Bible says that their hearts were empty. And in essence, their worship was empty. But there is good news. So let's look at the work of Jesus. First of all, Jesus is the lamb that was slain. And he is worthy of our worship. You know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only reason that we have any hope whatsoever in our lives. God is holy. He is worthy of worship. And we decided to do things in our own way. We failed to, up, to uphold him as holy. And... How did he respond? How did a holy, holy God respond to our disobedience and our treachery? By sending his son. To live a life that we could not. Of perfect obedience to the Father. To die the death that we deserved for our sin. And to pay the penalty that we couldn't. And on the third day raised from the dead. Offering us life to anyone who believes. Philippians chapter 2, it's up on the screen, says this. Having the mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God so loved us that he gave us his son. So that we could have life. And that's why Revelation, in Revelation it says to so those who gathered around the throne of God. Uh, proclaiming it, worthy is the lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Just like we sang earlier. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Seated on the throne. Crown him now with many crowns. He reigns victorious. Jesus is worthy of our worship. And he deserves every ounce of praise that we can give him. And how? Jesus calls his followers to worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit and truth. Jesus rarely ever went out of the uh, confounds of the nation of Israel. But on one occasion, he encounters the Samaritan woman, and they begin to have a conversation. Uh, First, Jesus asks her for a drink. Uh, she asked him why he would even bother talking to her since she was a Samaritan and he was a Jew. Uh, they go on and have this discussion back and forth. And he says, uh, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for, uh, for living water and you would never thirst again. And they go on to have this discussion about where they are to worship. Meaning the Samaritans who were living in that region. And after some very uh, revealing conversations that Jesus is going to have with her about her past, she comes to realize that Jesus is the Messiah. The promised one from God who came to save his people. That's why he came. And as we are getting a small glimpse into this story, you know, thinking about the Samaritan woman we realized that salvation was not just for the Jews, but it was for the Gentiles. Jesus came to die for the world, not just for the Jews. And um, he was giving us a small piece of that in this story. But Jesus goes on to tell her this. In John chapter 4, verse 23, he says this. in verse, Chapter 4, verse 23, it's on the screen. But the hour is coming and now is here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. So what does that mean to worship and in spirit and in truth? I don't want you to miss this. Notice that this, there's a small S in spirit there. In spirit meaning with your whole being. With all the passion that you have. With, with a whole heart. A worship that flows from the inside out. Sometimes we can walk through these doors and we can stand in here and we can worship and we can raise our hands and... We uh, were yelling at our kids 10 minutes before we walked through the door, right? And we'll probably be yelling at our kids 10 minutes after we walk out the door. I don't know. But here it says worship in spirit, meaning with passion. Worship is not just an external activity. It starts on the inside. Jesus warned uh, the hypocrites with the words of Isaiah in Mark chapter 7. He says, this people honors me with their lips... But their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. So they worship in spirit. Also it says worship in truth. And that just means to worship the truth of God's word. God has revealed himself through the word. Jesus is the word. You can look at Matthew chapter 1. He's the word. Or is it John chapter 1? I don't want to mess that up. But. We are, our worship of Jesus is driven by what we know. And we believe in what we believe about Jesus. Or as John Piper sums it up, he says, Strong affections for God rooted in truth. We have a strong affection for God rooted in truth. So the better informed we are, the more we read our Bible, the more we study our Bible, the more we meditate on God's word, the better we can worship in spirit and in truth. The same humbleness. Uh, experienced by the Samaritan woman. I hope it's the same humbleness that we experience when we encounter Christ. A healthy fear and reverence. But let's look at the role of the Holy Spirit. Because much of that humbleness can be rooted in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our helper that convicts us of sin, guides us in truth, and glorifies Jesus. Jesus. Convicts us of sin, guides us in the truth, and glorifies Jesus. You know, I shared a few weeks ago about a story about a friend who would stand behind me while I was playing Connect Four. And he would, if I was making a bad move, he'd be like... Ah, ah, ah. If I was making a good, good move, yep, 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 yep. And again, the Holy Spirit is very pivotal in guiding us in which direction we're supposed to go. Uh, Turn over to John chapter 16. I want you to see this. John chapter 16, as we see how the Holy Spirit guides us, how it convicts us of sin, and how it glorifies Jesus. Jesus tells them that it's good for him to go away because if he goes away, he can send the helper. Uh, At the end of verse 7, he says, But if I go, I will send him to you. Verse 8, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. I have a lot of things to say. Verse 13, When the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever He hears, he will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Jesus says this: He will glorify me, or he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin, to guide us in the truth and to glorify Jesus. And we need conviction of sin. I hope none of us think that we are beyond being convicted of sin that we commit in our lives. The Holy Spirit does those things for us. And the Spirit of, uh, guides us to worship Jesus. Look, look at this next point. The Holy Spirit brings understanding to the things that God has given to us. So the Holy Spirit will bring understanding into our life. Christians are those who can worship Jesus because of the Spirit's work in their life already. Don't miss that. Without the Holy Spirit softening your heart, taking out your heart of stone, giving you a heart of flesh, um, slapping you upside the head and knocking the scales out of your eyes, we would not recognize Jesus for who he is. We would not recognize God for who he is. There was a movie uh, that came out probably when I was a teenager. It's a weird movie. It's called The Sixth Sense. I'm not recommending it to anyone. I'm not going to say a whole lot about The Sixth Sense, but I thought it was a strange movie. And it leaves you uh, questioning what's going on during the entire movie. I don't know what's happening. I I don't understand. I don't understand. And then right at the end, 15 minutes till the end, there's this little plot twist. And they just insert it. And all of a sudden you go, oh, I get it. I understand everything that's happened now. And that's kind of what the Holy Spirit does for us. Without the Holy Spirit doing the things that we talked about, removing the scales from our eyes, softening our hearts, we wouldn't get it. He brings understanding to what God has given to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we've seen, it says... um, that we've been given the Spirit that we might understand the things given to us by God. We can understand it over and over throughout the, uh, the Gospels. Jesus will teach to the disciples and to others that are there listening. And it's amazing. He has to step back and He has to come back to the disciples and He has to explain it to them. Why? Because what He said was difficult to understand. He didn't do that with everyone, but He just did it with the disciples. And he says that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, tells us no one, this is good, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. We're not able to recognize Jesus for who he is. We're not able to realize who God really is without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We are unable to worship rightly without the Holy Spirit's role in our life. So worship is something I bet we all need to work on in our daily lives, even on Sundays, uh, corporately with our church family, but even privately with ourselves or with our families at home. Well, let's check out how we need to be training for worship. Uh, Number one, we worship to draw closer to God. True, authentic worship isn't just about singing songs and getting a good feeling in your heart. Can it happen when you sing songs? Absolutely. Um, right now, my, uh, it's very encouraging to me to watch my daughter worship. She's realizing who Jesus is for the first time. We're working through the, uh, the baptism books right now. And she's understanding the gospel. And Jesus has done a work in her life. The Holy Spirit's done a work on her life. And to listen to her worship through song. But also it's like immediately something's flipped in her life to where it's like she doesn't want to listen to other things at home. She wants to listen to Christian music. And she wants to do these things. it's just it's very encouraging to see that in her soft little heart. And so it, it's not just about singing songs and feeling good in your heart. Worship is, starts with seeing God for who he really is. Um. His power, His greatness, His holiness, His sovereignty, His love, His compassion. All of those things pointing to His holiness. Like I said, that's the perfect description of all of His other attributes. But all of those things and who God is deserves everything about who you are. The best of your time, the best of your talents, the best of your thoughts, the best of your words... Um, the best of your deeds, your obedience, all of those things to whatever he calls you to do. The best of the best that you have to offer is what we should give to God. Every day of every hour. James said it, uh, says that we should submit ourselves to God, that we should resist the devil and he will flee from us. Then it says we should draw near to God and it says God will, he will draw near to us. But it takes submitting to that. It takes effort. It takes your everything. And in regards to your family, I've said this before to parents as a youth pastor. And I'll say it to you tonight because you're either a parent or grandparent in here. But I'll say this. You can't lead your family or your church into what you aren't practicing in your own life. If worship is not a daily activity in your life, how in the world do we expect to lead our families or our church to worship God rightly? It's got to be something that we do on our own. Draw close to God. He will draw close to you. Secondly, we worship to draw our families closer to God. Training in godliness should begin early in a child's life. Before he or she even can comprehend who God is uh, and all of his other attributes before they can even understand God's plan for salvation. Uh, Then, as the child grows, uh, we should continue teaching them the truth of the Scriptures uh, to give meaning to the Bible, to help them to uncover the truth of the Bible. This is something that we as parents or grandparents should be doing with our children. We see this modeled in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This would have been something that children would have had memorized at a very early age in this day. Uh, It says this, starting in verse 4. It's on the screen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit at your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. You sh- um, they shall be the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We don't just live we don't just live a life of worship, but we should be diligently teaching them to our children. And when you look at these commands, sitting at home, walking down the road, lying down, waking up, let me me summarize that for you. All day, every day, from sunup to sundown, that's what you're to be doing. Diligently teaching them to your children, leading your family to worship. And I pray that we never stop modeling that for our children or our grandchildren. It doesn't stop. Parents. When they get out of your house when they're 18 and they're on their own. and they've, It doesn't stop. We still can disciple our children. We can still teach them the truth about who God is. We can still lead them to worship. Uh, next, uh, nextly, next, we worship to edify and build up the church. We worship to edify and build up the church. You know, as a Christ follower, we are all part of one church. Of, of the church. And one of the main reasons... Um, to be able to, we corporately gather together is we want to praise God together. Uh, but another reason we do that is we want to build up the church. We all have different gifts, and in those gifts we are to build up the church. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the different parts of the body, how those different parts of the body work together, all with one person, uh, purpose starting in verse 24, it says this, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor, honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So all of these different body parts working together to give worship, honor, and glory to God. That's our purpose. You know, Landon mentioned this on Sunday. We will all worship something. We are created uh, to worship. And you're either going to give that worship to God or you're going to worship something else. We will all worship. And so a while back, I know our our missions pastor, Chris, said this. And I asked him today if he said it. And he actually wanted me to give the the quote to John Piper but Chris said this Uh, he said missions is not the goal of the church missions exist because worship doesn't meaning we go and we tell people about Jesus because there's people out there that can't worship God rightly because they don't know who God is so someone must go and they must tell but the real purpose of the church is worship we are created to worship God lastly Guard your time to worship. I know in this crazy world that we live in, uh, the longer you go down this road, I think the busier we get. Um, We must guard our time to worship. It has to be a priority in our lives. Um, As much as we guard our time to go to work, as much as we guard our time to drop off our kids at school, to pick up our kids at school, as much as we guard our time to uh, date our spouse, we must guard our time to worship. You have, this is not something that I hope I have five or ten minutes to give to God so that I can tip my hat, so I can say I read my Bible, I can check that off, and maybe I'll sing a praise song on the way to work in my car. I hope and pray that we are found guarding our time. Here's a few ideas. Okay. First of all, prepare, prepare early. I'm not telling you how to raise your family. I'm not telling you uh, all the things that you need to do in your own household. But if you want to make worship a priority, it takes being intentional about what you do on Saturday night. It does. I went to a tech game last Saturday. Night game. It was crazy, right? Y'all saw it on TV. It was, it was fantastic. I was tired Sunday morning. Kept hitting snooze. I just kept wanting to hit snooze. But guess what? You have to be intentional. We didn't give our kids screen time on the drive home from Lubbock. What did we do? Go to sleep. I told my wife, go to sleep. That way you we can be intentional about getting up and going to church. And I know you might be thinking, yeah, Corey, you work at the church. It's a little easier for you. You have to be intentional. And I'm just going to tell you straightforward right now, it's no easier on a pastor than it is anyone else. Or maybe it's a little bit easier, but I don't know. You have to be intentional. You have to make a plan. You have to prepare early. You have to... uh, Be ready. If you have a habit of being late, uh, I'll just encourage you start earlier. If you're late to go to work, guess what you do? Back it up. Maybe you make worship a priority Saturday night. Maybe you make worship a priority as a family before you get in the car to come to church on Sunday morning to prepare your heart. But you prepare early. Secondly, you prepare your heart. Uh, This involves repentance, repentance of sin. Uh, 1 John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It involves repentance. It involves humbleness, humbling yourself before God, acknowledging who God is, acknowledging who we are, seeing God's work in our life, how what we would be apart from the Holy Spirit's work and the redemptive work of Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. We need to prepare for worship. I mean, we prepare for everything in our lives. How much more should we prepare to worship God? Holy, holy, holy God. How about praying with your family uh, on your way to church as you speak, uh, as you head to church? All these things would be good for us to do. Uh, Lastly, expect God to do something. You know, when God's people gather... uh, As expecting, longing people. uh, God will speak to them. Pretty amazing. As a church, as we gather together, as we seek the Lord. um, God will be with us. And he will move in and through us. What a difference it makes to yearn to spend time with God. And expect him to speak when you do come into his presence. Not a, I got to hurry up and do this so I can check it off my box. But when you truly take the time, yearn to be in his presence, delight to read his word. Spend time in honest uh, repentance and humbleness before God and ask him to speak to you. We can expect God to speak to us. Sometimes it may be through a song, it may be through his word. But he speaks to us. And again, worship is anything that you think, say, or do that aspires worth to God. Worship is anything that you think, say, or do that aspires worth to God. Anything. You can worship God in your job. You can worship God in your family. You can worship God as you're here. You can worship God as you're holding babies in that nursery. Anything that you think, say, or do that aspires worth to God. And yes, that means wherever you're at, all day, every day. Let's pray this evening. God, I know so many times we fail in how we worship you. I pray that, we would, uh, that you would help us um, to delight as we walk with you. Help us to make it a priority in our lives. Help us to truly understand who you are. Help us to understand who we are apart from you. Thank you for Jesus and the work that he accomplished so that uh, we even have the opportunity to worship you rightly. Thank you for the role of the Holy Spirit to soften our hearts, to open our eyes to the truth of the gospel. And I pray that we would be faithful to live every moment of every day, giving you the glory that you deserve with our thoughts, with our words, and with our actions. We ask all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.